Today on Abounding Grace, we finish our study of John chapter 11 in a glorious way. Chapter 11 opens up with great sorrow and sadness. It also kind of ends with great sorrow and sadness as we see the religious rulers. But man, it's a glorious chapter of hope. It's a glorious chapter in the life of Jesus showing that he can work in even the most impossible situations. That he can sustain us while we're waiting for resolution That he can sustain us even when things aren't going the way or everything is not going the way that we would have it. God is faithful and he brings new life and he offers that to us. This is amazing grace. We're in a study of John's Gospel here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And today we bring you one final look at chapter 11. Jesus' good friend Lazarus has just died. And it's an emotional scene when Jesus arrives. But I'm glad to say there is a happy ending to the story. Jesus is about to breathe life into his good friend. And in doing so, remind us that in him there is resurrection life and hope. You need to expect that you're going to meet people in the context of any church congregation, but especially ours, that are wrapped up in grave clothes of sin. Their life isn't what it could be. It's not what it should be. And church, and this church in particular, represents something to them of hope and possible freedom in their lives, but they don't yet have it. I mean, in Lazarus' point, let's look at Lazarus for a second. You're there. You're taking it all in. You're like Martha. You don't want it opened up. You don't want to be a part of it. It, It's anyone that has smelled death, you know it doesn't smell good at all. Or a four days down the road. You don't want any part of that. But it happens anyway. And so you deal with that. But now now the command is you go and help him. So in order to go help Lazarus, I mean, you're going to deal with something really bad. Those clothes, those that take on the scent of the body. That didn't come back to life. They're just linen cloths. And so he needed people that wouldn't care what he looked like. He needed people that didn't care what he smelled like. He needed people around him that just saw him as the person that's alive and serve him accordingly. And I see that in the, I see that in the world today. This world is so filled with people that are broken because of sin. And, and there's a stinkiness about them. You could look at them and go, you know, because of sin, you stinketh, man. It's hard. I mean, even in the context, let's just bring it home really close here. You're sitting next to someone and you smell alcohol. You smell pot. You know, they smell like, because that's what they've been doing. And there you are. What do they need? Do they need you to get all up on your high horse and start judging them? Well, hey, man, we're in church. Why is there alcohol in your breath? And why are you smoking pot, man? What kind of person? Hey, hey, listen, they don't need that. They need somebody to go up to them, get engaged in their life, and help loose them and set them free. That's what's needed. They don't need a bunch of self-righteous people that have forgotten where we've come from. How did you walk into church, you know? What was it that God saved you from? 
and how careful we need to be. Now, let me just say this for the sake of our congregation. The continual reports that, that I get back from people that visit and make Calvary their home or, is that this is a loving, caring congregation, and I agree. I mean, we have met so many people over the years, and it's just love and patience and, and grace. And I know we're not all perfect, but man, the Lord has done a work of grace in our lives. But how careful we need to be that we don't become so judgmental of the way someone looks the way someone smells, what they're into, that we don't see the opportunity for God telling us, hey, you need to get into their life and help them. Loose them and set them free, man. Give them the hope of the Lord. It's really discouraging to me at times when I'm going through my Facebook feed and I see so many, so much prejudice from people that call themselves believers. It's discouraging. You know, people judging each other because of their religion, people judging each other because of the color of their skin, people judging all kinds of things to save their political view. I don't understand how you think that's helping loose people and set them free, but it's not. Prejudice is a sin that needs to be crucified and confessed and forsaken in the power of Jesus Christ. You need to learn how to see with the eyes of Jesus. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that heaven will be filled with people saved from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every tribe, I mean, wherever they come from, whatever background, whatever God is going to deliver people from, he's going to do the work of deliverance. And I know it can be stinky sometimes, and I know it can be difficult sometimes, and I know the things that we come up against really militate against our being comfortable and what we think a Christian should look like and what we think a Christian should sound like, but it really doesn't matter what we think. We need to have the eyes of Jesus, and when Jesus points us to something that, I mean, like Lazarus, you know, you go and help him. Yeah, but he stinks. Yeah, but it's hard. Yeah, but the blood or whatever it might be, whatever thing it might be, we need to crucify our own selfishness and go help a brother, help a gal out and help set them free. I mean, I think about it in the context of the church, the people that we've served over the years. I mean, people caught up in, in rank sexual sin. That's just what, they, that's what they're into. And in our culture right now, there's a lot of sexual sin, a lot of what, what's being termed alternative lifestyles and things that, man, this is not from the Lord. But, but man, people that are caught up in that kind of stuff need help. They need to sense and to feel the love of God. They need to recognize that, you know what? We, God does love them. And he loves you enough to not let you stay the way you are in your own sin. It doesn't mean we judge you. It doesn't mean we don't like you. It's just, man, I'm telling you the truth. Somebody's got to tell you the truth. And you tell the truth to people that you love, you know? You lie to the people you don't love. <laughs> Generally, it's not an act of love to lie. You lie about people that you don't really care about, but you tell the truth about people you do. And so maybe you're caught up in some sexual sin, whatever it might be, homosexuality, you're plotting adultery right now, you're in the you know, party scene and just kind of hooking up with people. Listen, God loves you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It's not good for you. We want to help loose you from those death clothes. It's just continually bringing a stench about you that isn't good. I mean, I think of the women that we've ministered to here. I think of the women that that were on the edge and and with their boyfriends or with their husbands, right on the edge of getting an abortion. That's a visceral, that brings a visceral response because we believe in life. And yet when somebody comes and shares with you, you know, I'm thinking about getting an abortion, the last thing they need is for us to point the finger at them and go, no, what they need is love. They need to be told what a precious life is within their womb. They need to be told that there's hope. 
that there are people that would want that baby. They might even want that baby. They just don't feel it yet. And I think of how many babies have been running around the building uh, because they were saved from an abortion. Why? Because of love. I think of gals, I mean, we have ministered to gals that were strippers. We've ministered to gals that were prostitutes. They've come through. And think of it, I want you to understand this. Let's just say, you know, because you kind of think of it, you kind of think of it, you know, maybe some of you gals, you might see a gal walk in um, that's really, you know, immodestly dressed. And, you know, it just, just, you could just tell that that's not a very modest person. And there you are. The first thing you think is, man, I can't believe that lady. What does she think? She's going to stumble my husband. I can't believe she's dressing like that. She's in church. No, come on now. Why don't you go put your arm around her and find out what her story is? And maybe you have a, you know, you bring about, you bring about a, a covering. Maybe you have a scarf or something. You just kind of cover up a little bit. You put your arm around her. You find out her story. Maybe the Lord has brought her here because she doesn't want to be a prostitute anymore. I mean, I, 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 in my mind, I've got gals that I remember that were here for a season that the Lord delivered out of that lifestyle. And it was because of the love of the saints. Oh, of course, you were going to teach modesty here. Understand the balance of course we're going to teach what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to be a productive person in society. But if you're so quick to judge, you know, again, hey, go, get, go help Lazarus. Oh, I'm not helping Lazarus. Uh-uh. I, I, I mean, that was enough just to move the stone. Somebody else needs to, to go clean that brother up. And, and I mean, I, I thought about it. It would be hard for me. I mean, I would just like, okay. You know, just like, whoa, man. Can you believe this? You know, why don't you come help? You know, all right, I'll just watch. I'll supervise, you know, whatever. But there are lives that need to be changed. And it's not going to be pretty. And it's not going to be clean. It's not going to be all cookie cutter. It's, you know, it's just like, man, there's so many things. We just need to lay these things down at the cross and allow the Holy Spirit to well up in us a love for people that maybe we don't currently have. Because it's a hindrance. If these guys would have come back with some attitude, it would have been a hindrance to poor Lazarus's life. He would have got the clothes off. You know, he would have figured it out somehow. But how much better it was that there were people there that loved him enough to help him in one of his, his most worst condition, perhaps. And together they got to rejoice in the freedom that came through his resurrected life. It's pretty cool. I don't want you to miss that. We look, kind of look at this, and I, I haven't witnessed a resurrection, although I've prayed for it. I haven't seen it with my, I haven't seen it myself. So I step back and I think, wait a minute, Lord, there is resurrections happening, brand new life happening around us all the time. The Bible, Jesus described it as being born again. And even though you're born again, you may still bring with you some of the hangups, some of the flesh. God's working things out. You know, recently Marie and I were down in the Springs and we were just talking a little bit about our testimony. And I remember those days. I remember those days. I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to learn. I had a lot to, to unlearn. I, I had so much in my life, but I was a believer. But I'm sure there were times you look at my life and go, I don't think you're a believer. And I would probably tell you, I don't know if I'm a believer either, man. I, I know this anger and this attitude. And, and I mean, it was so bad in the first year of our marriage. I mean, Marie wanted to leave me a lot of times before uh, we got saved. But even in the first year of getting saved, Marie had told me, you know what? I don't think it's going to work out. I mean, we're both saved. Why? Well, because we're taking off the grave clothes, man. We're taking off the things that we had on our whole lives. She had hers. I had mine. We had ours together. And I'm grateful for the people that were in our lives that would just come around 
and not be super offended by our fleshliness or not be super offended about our immaturity and would just be patient with us, helping us take layer after layer after layer of issues as they were revealed in our lives. The patience of the Lord. That's Lazarus here. He's alive, and those that are alive, and what I mean by that is just breathing. Those that are alive need the help of the church to get their eyes on the hope of God and help take off the layers. And maybe that's you today. And part of what you need to do is ask for help. The command has been given to us, loose him and let him go, but if you don't tell us, we may miss it. And so you can ask for help. So powerful stuff. Verse 45. Then many of the Jews had come to Mary, had seen the things that Jesus did, believed in him. Remember Jesus has said over and over again, for the glory of God, for the glory of God. Well, here it is, folks. The glory of God. Salvation. They went through all that they went through. All the grief. All the mourning. All the disappointment, all the frustration, all the angst and the anger, all that they went through just for the course of the days that they were there. Why? For the glory of God. And what was the glory of God? That many believed in him. That's why we exist, to bring glory to God. And the greatest glory we can bring to God is to be used of him through our life, through our testimony, to see people get saved and their lives forever change. Can you think of a greater glory other than being in the presence of the Lord, man? What greater glory is there to see lives that were once dead come to life in him? And that's it. Now we see. They didn't know that. Here you are in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your grief and your mourning, and God's telling you, and so is your pastor. He's been telling us, God has been speaking to us for a long time now. This is for the glory of God. You may not understand it now, but you'll see. God works all things together for the good, for those that love him and called according to purpose. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. He doesn't have evil thoughts towards you. Just be patient. Trust him. Roll away the stone of unbelief. And you go, but why, Ed? I just don't see it. You will. You will. They didn't know. They had no idea. They just had their pain. They just had their difficulty. They just had their loss. They just had their tears. They just had their, just all of it. And yet, God's glory did show up through their pain, through their loss. And in this case, it was glorious, man. Lazarus is back. And yet, you know, the Lazarus was resurrected from the dead only to die again. Because the Bible says the, it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. Death will come to us all. We will all have to give account for our lives. And yet Jesus Christ, he conquered sin and death. That by faith in Jesus Christ, not only can your sins be forgiven, but you can be assured, you can be assured of eternal life. You can have a confidence that your relationship is with God, not with a church. It's with God, not with a religion. It's with God, not, with a, not through another man. You can be assured that God loves you and desires a relationship with you. And in just a moment, you'll have a chance to do that. But here's the glory of God. Many believed. But some, verse 46, went away to the Pharisees and told them these things, the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. This is just unbelievable, isn't it? I hope you see it. You know that you're in the flesh. You know that you're distant from God. You know that you're not walking in the ways of God. 
when you are faced with something so amazingly awesome in someone else's life and you make it all about yourself. That is not from the Lord. Lazarus is alive. The town is happy again. No doubt they're planning the parties. Everybody's there. No more weeping. No more mourning. Wipe away the tears. Let's have a party. And what's happening with the religious rulers? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're going to lose everything. And they're right on the edge of gaining everything. If they would just believe, they could join the party. But instead, they're so self-centered that they're going to die in their sins. You just know that things aren't right when you make everything about yourself. The Bible says for us to really esteem others greater or higher than ourselves. Selfishness is not from the Lord. And yet great sacrifice is. So verse 49, one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, they got an appointed political high priest every year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it's expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Now nothing's wasted by God. Even this guy that's a political appointee, a politically religious appointee, was a voice for the truth of God, where he predicted it's going to be a sac- there's going to be one sacrifice. That's how it's going to go down. And he's prophesying about Jesus. He didn't know that. But he was just given the advice. You know, if we take Jesus out, it'll solve our problem. But what he actually was saying is if Jesus is taken out, that's, that's how God's going to redeem the nation. It's amazing that even in the mouth of someone that's anti-God can speak forth the truth of God. Verse 53. Then from that day, they plotted to put him to death. That was their response to resurrection life and the hope of resurrection. They plotted from that day to kill Jesus. Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there he remained with his disciples. And the Passover, by the way, verse 55 is putting us in April now, so we're moving forward toward the end of Jesus' life, remember? Um, the Jews was near and went, the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus. So here they are religiously worshiping and seeking to kill Jesus. I mean, it's just how far we can be if we're not abiding in Jesus Christ. They sought Jesus, spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now we know that there were three feasts, mandatory attendance of any Jewish male that was lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem. They had to attend Passover They had to attend the Feast of Pentecost, and they also had to attend the Feast of Tabernacles. So when they ask the question, will he come to the feast or not, the answer is, oh, yes, he will, because he always did what pleased the Father. So he'll be there. But I love with Jesus, he's also very careful, because just he's going to go there doesn't mean he's going to put himself at risk. Just because he's going to go there doesn't mean that he is not going to protect himself or protect those that are with him. So he didn't just walk in. He's going to walk in and present himself on the exact timing of God. And there are times when, you know, sometimes in the world today, they'll talk about living within boundaries, you know, setting boundaries. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Jesus is doing that here. There's a boundary over his life to fulfill the perfect will of God in his life. And so he didn't present himself openly here like he will in the next chapter. It's the timing of God. And so there's just some, the Bible speaks about some people we just have to separate ourselves from. They're not healthy for us. 
They, they, they tend to speak negatively or, or gossip or, you know, you, they're leading you away from a place that is fruitful. There's just some people we have to separate ourselves. They're not helping us in our walk. They're not growing us in our walk. They're, they're not pouring into us. And we just, for a season, waiting on the Lord to take care of things. Jesus is separating him for a season. But you'll see in chapter 12, he enters in very triumphantly later. Now, verse 57 says, both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, they, they should report it, that they might seize him. These are the religious rulers of the day telling everybody not about the things of God, telling everybody not about how to worship, telling everybody not how to grow or what sacrifices to bring. Now they're creating a bunch of uh, a people to go on the lookout, kind of putting a, a reward on the head of Jesus from the religious rulers of all people. Chapter 11 ends in a glorious way in one sense because there's resurrection life. And that's the hope of the gospel. With every death in Christ, there's a resurrection. There's life. That we look forward. I I was sharing with you before, like I'm looking forward to being of that generation that doesn't see death. But in the twinkling of the eye, we are transformed and we are forever with the Lord in the air. I mean, that's the glorious hope of those of us that are still here. But the Bible says that the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's a reuniting right there in that moment. But whatever generation God would have us to be in, we want to be a faithful generation. Chapter 11 opens up with great sorrow and sadness. It also kind of ends with great sorrow and sadness as we see the religious rulers. But man, it's a glorious chapter of hope. It's a glorious chapter in the life of Jesus showing that he can work in even the most impossible situations. That he can sustain us while we're waiting for resolution. That he can sustain us even when things aren't going the way or everything is not going the way that we would have it. God is faithful and he brings new life and he offers that to us. And I just pray for you. I pray for the difficulties in your life right now. Harder than you could even explain, I'm sure. More than you could even put your words to. But God, he wants to bring new life. It could just be that something in your life just needs to die so that God can bring new life to it. It could just be that God is cleaning out or using circumstances to bring you to the end of yourself because it's often at the end of ourselves that we really start to cry out to God. And when things are going well, our prayer lives are, dear God, thank you for our food. I appreciate you. You're awesome. But in crisis times, it's, oh God, my life is in your hands. And I love this. Lazarus is alive. So what do we do with people that are alive? You go loose them and set them free. Amen? Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. If you'd like to hear the message from the Gospel of John again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there, too, at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Ed Taylor. Pastor Ed, our featured resource is a book by E.M. Bounds on prayer. How might this encourage our listeners' prayer lives? Any movement toward prayer is going to be good, Larry. And E.M. Bounds is known as the man who prayed. And his resources are powerful. They're stirring. And you know, whenever we want to look at an area of our lives that needs improvement, prayer is always the area, isn't it? We could always pray more and we could always be more faithful in that area. And I just want to encourage you, prayer is where it's at. Please get the resource, support the ministry, but pray. 
ultimately just pray. I think you'll fall in love with Ian Bounds. He's very matter-of-fact, writes from a different generation, so he gets right to the point, and I just know we need to pray more um, individually for our families, for our churches, for our world. Uh, May the Lord stir us up in prayer. Get the resource. Get it through us or wherever you get books, but get it because we need to be a praying church. That's going to be the key to our own strength, our own sanity, and we tap into the will and the power of God through prayer. Ask for a copy of E.M. Bounds on Prayer when you give $25 or more today to Abounding Grace. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store. calvaryco.store. And we also want to remind you that we are listener-supported. Abounding Grace airs all across the nation on stations like this one. But in order to do this, we look to our listeners to help cover some of the costs. You can make a secure donation on our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Just click on Donate. Or if you'd rather call, here's the number, 877-30-GRACE. We'll share another helpful message from Pastor Ed Taylor next time on Abounding Grace. We'll look for you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.